You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's pray and we'll get started tonight. I'm ready for the word. How about y'all? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. And Father, we thank you that we just have this opportunity to gather together and different places physically, but I thank you, Father, there's no time nor distance in the Spirit. And so, Lord, I thank you that the anointing that is present here with me is present with them. Father, I believe in the name of Jesus as we look to the Word of God, Father, that we'll be fed tonight, that we'll receive revelation and insight. And Father, we look to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said is our teacher, And so, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to bring insight and revelation into our lives, to to show us what the Word says and to cause it to become alive on the inside of us. And Father, I thank you that as we hear it, we'll be mindful to be doers of it as well, and we'll all be changed and better because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to end up there in just a few minutes. I want to uh, take just a couple of moments and uh, spend some time just hitting some highlights from my previous lessons. This is week number four in how to win over worry, and uh, I believe this is something that all of us deal with in some degree or fashion, but it it is something that definitely God is not in favor of. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say, if we get caught up into worry, uh, it is a sin because Jesus told us not to worry. Paul told us by the Holy Spirit not to worry. And uh, so if it's in the word and he says, don't do it, and we do it anyway, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how any other way to slice it, but that that is sin. So if you're like me, uh, you know, if you find yourself getting caught up in worry, then repent. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Put your attention back on the Word of God. But we talked about how worry is, um, is, is us looking for answers in our lives, in our minds, in our thinking, looking everywhere else besides the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside of us. But we're, we're looking and just going over the problems over and over and over again in our minds, searching for something that's just not there. And in the very first lesson, uh, we talked about how uh, God dwells on the inside of us in our recreated spirits. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells there, and He is the one that has the answers for us. And so we've got to learn, instead of getting caught up in that endless cycle of going over and over and over our problems in our minds, look to our hearts, look to our spirits where the Spirit of God dwells, and believe Him to bring answers for us and up to us out of our spirits. We also said that worry is a direct result of believing the wrong thing. A lot of times we get caught up in worry because we're not believing the, the right thing. You know, it could be that we're caught up in believing in what's going on in the natural and, and 
the enemy convinces us that that is the final answer, that that is the final um, say-so in the situation. And we know that it's not. We know that God has the final say-so in every situation that we face. And so we have to put our belief, we have to put our attention, our thinking on the right thing, which is the Word of God. We talked last week about how we can begin to prepare for pressure even before it shows up. You know, I gave you the phrase and said that, uh, you know, there's an old saying that we rise to the occasion. Well, the truth of the matter is we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our preparation. So the good news is, you know, Jesus told us very plainly, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Uh, but he said, be of good cheer, uh, for I have overcome the world. But he gave us a heads up, gave us an advance notice, so uh, we can go to the Word, we can spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, and we can be prepared for when adversity shows up, and we can predetermine ahead of time what our reaction will be, what is our response going to be. And so we can plan that in advance. And so, you know, instead of uh, falling apart and, and uh, coming apart at the seams, so to speak, we can already plan what we're going to do. You know, if it's a sickness or disease that tries to come against us, well, we can we can already be prepared for healing and believing healing in our physical bodies. You know, the, uh, the good news is, or, or, or not the good news, but what I like to say a lot of times is this, is that the best time to use your faith for healing is when you're not sick. In other words, be prepared ahead of time. You know, and know that, yes, we all have opportunities to deal with those things in our physical bodies, but we can be prepared in advance. And so uh, I'm so glad for that. But let's go over to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, very familiar portion of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote, of course, by the Holy Ghost. And I want to look at Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8, and we're going to kind of break it down and do a little expository study here, but in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, and this is what I mentioned a few moments ago, Paul said this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified Bible. The Amplified says this, do not fret or have, he, have any anxiety about anything but in everything, or in every circumstance, and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite request with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. So what I want us to see is, is that just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Paul is telling us exactly the same thing, is that we are not to tolerate worry, anxiety, being fretful of situations, and um uh, but uh, there he does give us a way to deal with it. Now, what you do need to understand is, is Paul is not implying, and of course the Bible doesn't teach us to have this happy-go-lucky attitude where we pretend like things don't happen, that we don't, that we pretend like, uh, you know, that, that trials and tribulations don't take place. Um, you know, some have accused us, uh, word of faith teachers, that we teach people that if you get born again and start following God and get into the Word, then your problems go away. And that's absolutely not the truth. 
Uh, matter of fact, if, if, if you get to where you're standing in faith and believing the word of God, you can pretty much take it to the bank that there's now a target on your back and the, the, the devil's going to see to it that he puts pressure in your life to get you to back off of what you're believing. All right. So, so we don't, you know, pretend like problems don't exist. And we also, and, and, and let me say it to you this way. Um, we also don't go through life tolerating everything that comes down the road either. There are some things that we do need to resist and we need to know from the word of God, what is the devil and what is God? So, you know, one easy way is John 10, 10, Jesus made it very clear. He said, the thief who is the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So, uh, you can take it and measure it and say, okay, is this stealing? Is it killing or is it destroying? And if the answer is yes, then that obviously is the devil and we can resist it. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you have it more abundantly. Now, somewhere along the line in, in church history, somewhere people got confused and thought Jesus came to steal, kill, and destroy. And, uh, you know, that he kind of does a little bit of everything, or if he's not doing it, he's given the devil permission to do it. Well, I've got news for you. The devil doesn't need permission to do any of those things. That his, is in his job description. That's what he does. And so my point is this, is that we need to learn that we've, we need to resist certain things. We need to stand in faith and do like the Bible says and resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Okay, so uh, let's go back to Philippians 4, 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I, I heard Willie George say this, and, and I really like this in, in talking about this particular verse. He said this, that we are wired and created to fix things, particularly us guys. We, we are big into fixing stuff. You know, if we see a problem, we want to fix it. If we see a problem in our family, we want to fix it, okay? But I'd say human nature is, is that we want to fix things, and here's why, because we don't want to have to experience the same thing again, particularly a bad experience. And so what happens is when, as we said earlier, when a problem arises, when a need arises, when a situation arises in our lives, our mind goes to work to try and fix the situation. And then that course, as we said earlier, that takes us down that road of just going over and over and over it. Okay. So once we have gone through some type of difficulty, we don't want to experience that again. So we try and fix whatever causes the difficulty. But how many of you know there are going to be situations in life that you and I cannot fix? Okay. Amy. And, uh, you know, there are going to be situations that are bigger than us. There are going to be needs that are bigger than us. There are going to be problems that arise that are bigger than we are, tougher than we are, and are beyond our control. And so where this anxiety comes from is when our mind, which is wired to find answers and solutions, races and tries to find those solutions and fix the problem. So, you know, listen, I'm all for it. If it is something you can do something about, then you need to do something about it. But a lot of times we face situations in life that are bigger than we are, 
and we can't fix it. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the ability. We don't have the know-how. And uh, so what we're going to have to do is look somewhere else for those solutions. And um, But when we get caught up in that, that's what produces this anxiety that Paul is talking about. So he said, be anxious <laughs> for nothing. So, all right, Paul, so then what is the answer? Well, I love this. And, and again, I learned this from Pastor Willie George. Um, God will never leave you in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is God does not give us a bunch of don'ts without giving us some do's to go with them, to contrast them. And he went on to use this illustration as a parent. He said he learned early on in, in not only pastoring children, but in raising his own kids, that when he would give his, his kids a don't, he, he would replace it with a do. And uh, so, for instance, he gave the illustration where, um, you know, if there were some people that uh, some young people that his boys wanted to hang out with and, uh, you know, uh, Willie, you know, wasn't real sure about uh, the households that these boys came from or whatever, instead of just saying, no, you can't go over to their house, what he would do is he would say, why don't you bring them to our house? And, you know, we'll have a hangout here. I'll buy pizza and we'll all hang out here. And that way I, meaning him as the parent, can control what's going on. And he used that as an illustration. And God does the same thing with us. When God gives us a don't, he will always give you a do to go with it. In other words, he doesn't just say don't, 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 and then leave us to figure out, okay, well, then what am I supposed to do? So in this verse, he gives us the do to go along with the don't. So obviously the don't is don't worry or have anxiety about anything. But he goes on to tell us in the rest of the verse, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So the do in this verse to replace the don't is that we need to take everything to the Lord in prayer. Now, I'm going to ask a trick question, okay? little hint. This is a trick question. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? Okay. All right. Here's the trick question, the answer to go to that trick question. Don't believe in the power of prayer. Believe in the power of God that responds to your prayer. Okay, because what happens is, and we see this on social media a lot, you know, and, and I know what people are saying, and I'm not trying to be critical of that. But, you know, you'll see on social media where, particularly Facebook or something, where something will happen. And, uh, you know, a personal situation in someone's life or, you know, a national crisis or something like that. And, and uh, people will say, well, we need to be praying, you know, we need to pray about this situation. And I, you know, occasionally I'll look at that and I'll go through and I'll look at the comments and you'll see comments like this, lifting prayers to you. Okay. Well, first of all, you don't lift prayers to people. All right. I know what people are trying to say. They're basically saying I'm praying, but see what we do is we fall into the trap and the misbelief of the more people I can get praying about this situation 
somehow it's going to bombard heaven and we're going to move God to answer our prayers. And that's a misbelief, okay? God <laughs> is not moved because thousands of people pray about a certain situation. God or heaven responds and God moves when one person prays in faith. Now, if you get multiple people praying in faith, that's great. But we've got to get out of this misbelief that says, okay, if I can just get everybody praying about this situation, then, then God will answer our prayers. And see, what happens is we do that and nothing happens. And therefore, that's why God gets a bad rap. Uh, you know, well, God, it must not have been God's will to move in that situation or, or whatever the case is. Okay, so here's what I, where I'm going with that. Just because you pray about something does not mean you will get an answer. All right? Listen to me carefully. There are loads of people that pray and do not receive answers because they are praying wrong. Just because you pray does not guarantee you an answer. You've got to pray the way God instructs us to pray and then uh, we, we are enabling him to be able to move in that situation, okay? And I've heard this before, and I understand where people are coming from. So again, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to help us make some minor adjustments here. Um, but I've heard about people talking about pouring their hearts out to God in prayer. And there are times when, you know, out of frustration, we can go to the Lord and I, you know, I encourage people to do this, you know, occasionally where, um, you know, listen, let me say it to you this way. If you need to vent about a situation, the best person you can vent to is God because he can handle it. All right. Versus other people. All right. But, but what I want, want to, um, what I want to just challenge us in this is just because you vent or pour your heart about pour your heart out to the Lord about a situation, and then you feel better because you vented or unloaded, does not mean you will receive help from heaven. It just means you got it off your chest. All right. Do you understand that? Okay. All right. So you know because when you read through the Psalms, for instance, you'll see where David vented to the Lord a lot. All right. But what you will find is in the Psalms, and I'm talking about the complete chapter where he would vent to the Lord, he never left it at that. He would always, and I believe it's because the Holy Spirit moved upon him, but he would always bring it back around to, but you, O Lord, are my strength, my deliverer, so forth and so on. He would never just pour out, hey, these people are, are on my case. They're, you know, harassing me. They're accusing me of doing wrong things, blah, 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 things like that. Uh, and then just leave it at that and say, okay, see you later. I'm in. No, he would always end it with, but you are my defense. You are my shield and buckler, so forth and so on. Okay. So what my point is this, is that if you want to pour your heart out to God, do so, but always bring it back to a place of faith in the word of God because that's what God responds to, not your uh, venting or pouring out your heart to him, okay? 
Now go over with me to Hebrews 4.15, please. Hebrews, the fourth chapter and the 15th verse. Hebrews 4.15. And I want, to, want us to learn something about Jesus here. And uh, in the book of Hebrews, we see this glimpse into Jesus' present day ministry. You know, um, it says this in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, this is the New King James, with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The Amplified Bible on verse 15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and, affirm and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sinning. So here's what, here's what Paul is telling us here in verse 15. Jesus is in heaven, and because Jesus lived in the earth as a human being, as a man, walked this earth for 33 and a half years before, of course, he, he paid the price for us, he, he knows what, what living here is like. He knows what temptation is all about. He knows what pressure is all about. Now, granted, the Bible says that he never gave in to those temptations and those pressures uh, and stayed sin-free. But what I want us to understand is that he does understand and sympathize with our weaknesses and the pressures that we experience in this life. However, you can't leave it at that. Notice what verse 16 says. It says, let us therefore... So, you know, if you're a Bible student, you know, if a therefore is there, you got to find out what it's there for. Okay. So what he just said, even though Jesus is intimately aware of what we experience here in this earth, we still need to come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Okay. Now here's something that I want you to learn. You don't have to sell Jesus on how bad things are, okay? You don't have to convince him. In other words, we got this misbelief that he's way off in heaven somewhere, walking on streets of gold, no needs, no concerns, no pressure, whatever. And so we've got to convince him of how tough our life is down here, okay? And... Uh, you know, we fall into that trap, but you don't have to convince him how tough your circumstances are. He knows how tough your circumstances are. He knows what's going on in your life right now. He knows what pressure, uh, he feels what you feel, the scripture tells us. Basically, that's what it's saying, okay? But here's what you need to understand. He feels your pain. He senses your pain. He feels your tears. He feels all of the emotional responses we have. But get this, he is not moved by those things. Just like, okay, and I'm going to say this, just like we 
should not be moved by those things. We have them. We have feelings. We, we go through things, but we should not allow those things to move us or cause us to respond in a way that's different than what the Word of God says, okay? So even though Jesus knows how you feel, even though Jesus knows what it's like to live here in the earth, to be tempted, to experience pressure, he will not respond to you based on those feelings, is what I'm trying to get us to see, okay? So what he bases his response on is the same thing that he based his responses on while he was here in the earth. What did he do? What did he look for everywhere he went and ministered while he was here in the earth? What was he looking for? Faith. Faith, absolutely. If he came across a situation where somebody had a need, he did everything he could to minister to that person, to bring them to a place of faith so that they could receive from him what he endeavored to do in their lives. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the, uh, the Samaritan woman uh, that came to him and said, you know, my daughter is, you know, is being tormented by a devil. I, you know, I need you to, to deliver her, to heal her. And you remember Jesus' response? He said, listen, I've come to minister to the, to the children of Israel. In other words, I haven't come to cast, uh, you know, the bread belongs to the children, not the dogs underneath the table. And see, he didn't do that to embarrass her or humiliate her. He did that to bring her to a place. And man, she responded beautifully when she came back and she said, that's true, Lord. But even the dolls get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And I can just imagine the, the smile that broke out on his face and what good it did to his heart because he got her to a place where she could believe him and he could minister on her behalf. Well, the same thing is true today in what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He's got to bring us to a place of faith in his word so that we can re receive from him what he endeavors to do, okay? Um, if he responded to people's emotions, both when he was in the earth and now, he would not be fair and just in his ministry. Now, how do I know that? Because if, you know, let, let's, let me use an example. Let's say Yvonne can cry a little bit harder when she prays than I can. If Jesus was moved by that and responded based on that, then he's going to be more likely to move on her behalf than he would my behalf because I don't cry that easily, you know, or, I mean, that's not true, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not as emotional as she is. In other words, just using that as an example. So what Jesus has to do, and this is what he did, and this is what God does is he leaves it on a basis of faith because that makes it even and fair for everybody, okay? In other words, I don't care who you are, where you came from, if you can believe God, God will respond to you, okay? All right, so here, here's the bottom line. Sympathy from heaven is not what we need when we have a situation we're facing. Answers are what we need. We need help. Okay. All right. So 
the Bible goes on, go back to Philippians 4. The Bible goes on to say, after he said, be anxious for nothing, he goes on to tell us to make our request known. He said, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now, I want to show you something else uh, about the ministry of Jesus, okay? So put your little bookmark, bookmark there in Philippians 4 and go over with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark the 10th chapter and look at verse 46. Very familiar portion of scripture. If you've ever studied the works of Jesus, you know you've studied the healing of, of blind Bartimaeus. Isn't it funny? You know, you ever thought about this? That these folks that Jesus ministered to in the scriptures and the gospels, we call them by their past conditions. I mean, think about this. What do we call that little woman that, that touched the hem of his garment? The woman that had the issue. We don't, we don't refer to her as the woman that got healed. And, you know, we don't call Bartimaeus just heal Bartimaeus. We call him blind Bartimaeus. He ain't blind <laughs> anymore. All right. I, this, you know, that's how my mind works sometimes. Y'all just forgive me. But anyway, all right. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says this. Now they came, Jesus and the disciples came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Now I want to stop right here and I want to highlight what Bartimaeus was saying. He was crying out with a loud voice and he said, Jesus, son of David. All right. In that phrase right there, what Bartimaeus was responding to or acknowledging rather was the fact that Jesus is the Messiah because the Messiah was coming out of the seed of David, all right? And so Bartimaeus had caught, caught this revelation. And so then he said, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now in the Old Testament, healing was attributed to God's mercy, okay? And uh, it still is, by the way. And so when, when Bartimaeus cried out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he was acknowledging not only who Jesus was, but he was acknowledging that Jesus came as the healer, all right? Now, notice what happened. They tried to shut him up. They tried to tell him, hey, be quiet. But he cried out all the more, verse 48, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. Now, just a little side note, if you want to get Jesus to stop and stand still in your life, Start acknowledging who he is and what he will do. A little side note, that's free. That won't cost you anything, all right? So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. In verse 50, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, you've probably heard this before, but most theologians and historians will tell you 
that there was a garment that blind people wore that indicated that they were blind, okay, to, to uh, the passerbys and so forth. And so what he did when he rose up, he cast that garment off of him. Because here's why. He knew his blind days were over, all right? He got acknowledged by Jesus, and he was going to have a meeting with Jesus. But here's what I want to get to, verse 51. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, okay, let's stop right quick and, and let's just analyze this for a second. Um, it would not take a rocket scientist to figure out what this guy needs and what he wants, okay? Everybody knew who he was. I mean, even the story started out calling him blind Bartimaeus. Even, like I said, even today, we still call him blind Bartimaeus. So if somebody who is publicly acknowledged as a healer and has the ability to heal people is passing by and he cries out and says, hey, you know, my paraphrasation, but hey, I know who you are. Can you help me? All right. Jesus comes back to him, stops and comes to him and say, or they bring him to Jesus. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Okay. Now, do you, let me ask you a question. Just use your noggin for a second. Do you think Jesus knew what he wanted? Yes. Why? Because he's Jesus. Okay. <laughs> The Holy Spirit told him? No. I mean, look, think about the natural circumstances that are going on. Here's a blind man seated by the road, begging people as they pass by. He hears it's Jesus coming by, starts to call out and cry out to Jesus. So what is the obvious thing that this man would want? His sight. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't have to be Jesus to figure that out necessarily. It, it's pretty mm -hmm. obvious what this guy wants, okay? But here's my point. What did Jesus say to him? What is it? Uh, what do you want me to do for you? Okay? Now, here's a moment. There's a moment right here that this thing could have gone completely out in left field somewhere, or it could have stayed on track. But it all depended on what Bartimaeus said at this moment. Okay. Look at what he said. The blind man said to him, Rabbi or teacher, that I may receive my sight. Okay. Now, here's my point Jesus knew what this man wanted. Everybody that was standing there knew what this man wanted. But Jesus needed the man to acknowledge clearly within his own heart what his request was. What did he want Jesus to do? Because here's the thing. What would have happened if Bartimaeus had said something like this? Well, Lord, I just want a little blessing from heaven. <laughs> or, I, you know, I just wanted a touch. You know, I've, I've been in church, Jesus, and I've heard that, you know, if you touch me, okay, 
All right, I'm being I'm being facetious, but what I'm wanting you to see is even though Jesus knew what the man wanted and needed, he still needed the man to express his request. Okay? So what happened? When Jesus heard his request, Jesus said to him, "Go your way, for your faith has made you well." And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. All right, so let's go back to Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, pastor, doesn't God already know what I need? Yes, he does. He's already moved by that need He or, or affected by that need. He's already affected by your, your, your temptation, your test, your trial, the emotions that you're experiencing but he needs you to articulate your request because in that request, you are releasing your faith. All right. Are you following me? Okay. Jesus wanted the man to answer with his request. Okay. He, you know, Jesus didn't pass by. And when, when he said, bring, bring Bartimaeus to me, he didn't say this. Bartimaeus, I need you to tell me how tough your life has been as a blind person. What's your life been like here begging outside on the side of the road here? Tell me what that's been like. Tell me what that experience has been all about. Tell me how, you know, probably you stay hungry all the time because maybe people don't give you a lot of money or food or whatever. Jesus didn't want to know any of that stuff. What he wanted to know was, what did the man desire? What was his request? And here's what I want us to see. A lot of times in prayer, you know, in dealing with with life, we just assume that God's aware. And so, Lord, I know you know what I'm facing. You know what I'm dealing with, Jesus. So move, Lord. Move, Lord. That's the kind of prayers we pray. Okay. Or better yet, you might be in a group. I just have an unspoken request. Okay. All right. Can I tell you something? There's no such thing as an unspoken request. Now there might be something confidential uh, that you need to just share with somebody you could trust and not a big group. But um, if you want us in this group, to get in agreement with you and and join our faith with you in your request, we're going to have to know what your request is, okay? Because I can't respond to or release my faith for something I don't know what it is. You have a question, Yvonne? Well, I just wanted to say that a lot of times, too, we have so many things in our minds even though there's the one major thing, there's other things going on in the back of our minds that we do have to specify which one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not because God doesn't know what's going on in your heart and your mind. You need to clarify for your own heart. Okay. That's why I encourage you, you know, and you've heard me say this before, um, you know, but when you, when you're praying and you're releasing your faith for something, get specific and write it down, write it down, be very clear, and then find scriptures that pertain to whatever you're praying about that, that guarantee the answer to what you're praying about. Okay. Uh, uh, Brad. Yes. <laughs> Isn't there, there's that, 
there's also the legalist legal side of it that we have to give God permission to oh, yeah you when you express your request you are opening the door for God to come into that situation right okay there's a lot of people don't understand that legality side of it that he gave dominion over the earth to us so he even though he's able he can't move on the earth without our request or our permission or however yeah. you want to well what um John Wesley is the one that said uh, that it seems that God cannot move in the earth unless a man first ask him. Okay. Because yeah. you're exactly right. We are the ones that he, way back, you know, in the garden of Eden, he's the one that gave us dominion here in the earth. Now we open the door to the adversary to let him in. But at the same time, God has to have the same door open for him to be able to step in because he's the one that set it up that way. He's the one that designed it that way. Now, all right, so here, so what's the next thing? Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't just describe the problem to the Lord, but pray the answer, okay? I want to take you over to uh, the book of Acts real quick. Acts chapter 4, and this is, way back in the early days of the church, Acts chapter 4, and uh, Peter and John, you remember they ministered to the guy at the, the beautiful gate of the temple, and uh, he received his healing, and so, uh, you know, that's where Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, uh, rise up and walk, and Peter took him by the hand and raised him up, and he walked, and so there was a great uh, ruckus that was caused by the religious leaders because of this and so forth and so on. And so they arrested Peter and John, told them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so Peter and John were let go. And it says in verse 23 that they went back to their, to their own companions, their own company. And it says, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they told them what the situation was, but then it says, so when they heard that, they, meaning all the people, raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for truly against your Holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now look on their threats, okay, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. So I want to stop right there, and I want to say this first. Notice that the the disciples, when they gathered back together, they had a corporate prayer meeting, and they didn't just rehearse to God their problem. They went to God and noticed those scriptures that they prayed in there. That's Those are direct quotes from the Word, okay? So they prayed the Word over the situation. Then they made their request. They said, now, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats, grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word 
by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So what happened? So, so Peter and John were let go. Instead of going back to the, the church and grumbling and complaining and moaning and groaning because of what they had been through, they acknowledged the problem. They said, Lord, behold their threatenings. But then they prayed the word over the situation, and then they made their request known. And Lord, make us bolder. Pour out your power in our lives in a greater way so that even more people get healed, even more people get set free, and so forth and so on. Okay, so they did not cave to the pressure. They didn't just, you know, go in and describe the problem and rehearse the problem before the Lord. They prayed the answer. Okay, somebody says, well, I don't know what the answer is. Well, this is where you have to go to the word of God and find out what the answer is. See, they prayed and they said these, can I just paraphrase? <laughs> That's a quote from the second Psalm where David said by the Holy Ghost, he said, the people are going to get crazy and they're going to start doing crazy things, but don't be moved by that. All right. That's what basically they were praying. Lord, we're not going to be moved because they're imagining and doing vain things. And so then they made their request known. Look, go over with me to first John chapter five, please. First John chapter five. Am I helping anybody tonight? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you for those two people that I'm helping. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. First John chapter five, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay. So I'm going to say this to you. A believer a born-again believer should never pray with a question mark, is God hearing my prayers? But yet you hear believers pray that way all the time, hoping and a praying that they, they think that God might be listening to them. And see, what happens is, y'all, we tend to, our prayer lives tend to be like we're playing the casino, in other words, if I pop enough quarters into that slot machine and pull the handle just right, I might get all the things lined up and God might hear my prayer. And if he and, and I might win the prayer jackpot and get the answers to my prayers. That is not the prayer life for a believer. Okay. John is giving us what the prayer life for the believer. We should be able to go before God with confidence, knowing. When I open my mouth, I will have the ear of the heavenly father. He tells you how to do it. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, so, I, you know, I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can figure out that if I pray something according to the will of God, it's a given. God is going to hear my prayer. So then, okay, then it bears to... So the question is, well, then how do I know what the will of God is? Well, you got a whole book here full of the will of God, okay? Then verse 15 says this, 
if I pray according to his will and he hears us, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if I'm guaranteed God hears my prayer, then what John just said here by the Holy Ghost is, if God heard me, then he answers my prayer. It's not going to be, uh, well, you know, he says no sometimes. Or, uh, you know, even no is an answer. No, the scripture says, if I pray according to his will, he hears me. And if he hears me, then I have the petitions or the request that I've asked of him. So let me let me shorten this. I'm not taking anything or out of this, but let me say this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Okay? So if I pray the word of God, then, and I'm going to say this, and God doesn't mind if I say this, God is bound to answer my prayer. He has to. Why? Because he obligated himself to. All right. Not because I'm some kind of spiritual hot rod or I have it all together or I do everything perfectly. No, it's because I choose to believe what the Bible says. And, and because of that, God obligated himself to answer my prayers. Okay. So now go back to Philippians four. He says this again, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, okay? So he goes on to say, with thanksgiving. So we pray our prayer, and we make our request to him. Then we give him thanks for the answer. Now, here's the key. You give him thanks for the answer before you have the answer. I'm going to say that again. You give him thanks for the answer before the answer ever shows up. All right. So what does that look like? So you release your faith. You say, Father, I'm asking you for whatever this is that you're asking him for. Lord, I know that it's in your word. You said, and then you, you rehearse before him what the word says. So Father, I receive it right now in Jesus name that that situation is taken care of according to your word. And so from this moment forward, I'm not going to ask anymore. That's rude. I'm going to begin to thank you for the answer even before the answer shows up. And so every time you're tempted to be anxious about that situation, here's what you do. Here's your response. When your mind starts to go on that rabbit trail and it starts to go down that path of what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this situation? How are we going to solve it? When it starts to do that, you have to go, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I've already prayed about that situation. I already have my answer. And so I'm going to take a moment right now, instead of worrying about it, I'm just going to take a few moments right here and I'm going to thank God that I have the answer. And so father, I thank you right now that I'm healed, or I thank you right now that I have the answer. I thank you right now that that need is met, whatever the situation is. And you begin to thank God. Cause here's what I guarantee you won't be able to do is worry while you're thanking God for the answer. <laughs> Are you with me? 
Okay. All right. So what you need to understand is pray your prayer, making a request to him, then give thanks to him for the answer and know this, this is not the prayer of magic. This is the prayer of faith. All right. So what is, what am I saying to you? There might be a minute between the time you pray and the time that answer shows up. So what do you do in that in-between time? Father, I just thank you right now. That situation is taken care of. You've already moved on my behalf. Father, I thank you that I'm healed right now in the name of Jesus. And so that's what you do to fill that gap between the amen of your prayer and the answer showing up. All right. So when, when you do that, there is a confidence that arises in your heart the more you give thanks for the answer. There's just something that happens on the inside of you. So let's go on real quick. Look at verse 7 there in Philippians 4. And this is this the first word in that verse is and. So that means this verse is connected to what we just read in verse 6. So let's go back. Let's read verse 6 again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. All one thought, all one sentence. Okay. So I love the fact in verse six, again, be anxious for nothing. That next word, but what that means is, and I forgot what the uh, parts of speech that is, but I can tell you this, what that says is I'm just undoing everything that we just said in the first previous word. So be anxious for nothing. Okay. So in place of being anxious, but in everything, you know, in every situation, of course, by prayer and supplication. Now notice what happens and what shows up when you begin to give thanks for the answer, the peace of God. So can I say this to you based on what the word is telling us? Anxiety goes up, peace goes down. Thanksgiving goes up, anxiety goes down, and peace goes up. Okay, let me say that to you again. Anxiety is up here, peace is down here. You start, you, you pray, you give thanks, that anxiety goes down, the peace begins to go up. Okay, people, you know, will say to me, I'm just... I'm just anxious. I'm dealing with, with anxiety. Well, the, the challenge is, based upon what we read here, one of the major causes is, is you're not thankful. You're not being thankful. Okay? Then there's another part to it that I'll get into. I'm, I'm not going to be able to finish all this tonight, but look at verse 8. He connects verse 8 to what our part is in this. So finally, my brother. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any uh, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, here's what Paul is telling us again by the Holy Ghost. Replace the anxiety and you determine what your mind focuses on, okay? And I love the fact that the New King James says, uh, if, if it, it meets any of those conditions, meditate on those things. Now, tying this into our series on Sunday mornings and talking about imagination, 
Um, what he's saying to, to you here is the next step in this is don't let your mind run around doing whatever it wants to do. You keep it focused on the things that meet those qualifications. And then that word meditate means imagine yourself with the answer. See yourself with the answer. If it's healing that you need, see your body healed. If it's, you know, finances that you need, see your life with every need fully and abundantly supplied. Whatever the situation is, whatever the need is, and what the word has promised you, see yourself already possessing that answer. Okay. That's what meditate on these things is all about. Okay. A little helpful hint, by the way, we're going to talk more about that Sunday morning, but the thing that you need to understand is that we have the responsibility. Nowhere in those three verses, six, seven, or eight, does it say anything about God dealing with your worry for you. You and I have to do that. We have to make up our minds that we're going to refuse to worry because God said, I don't have to. And if I don't have to, and he said, don't do it, then there's got to be an alternative. Well, the alternative is pray, express your request to him based on the word of God, give thanks for the answer and stay in that attitude of thanksgiving, thanking him for the answer. And then you do something about what you think about and, and see yourself, imagine your life being lived out in line with the word of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, I'll possibly talk about, uh, I got two pages of notes I didn't get to. So maybe we'll talk about those things next week. But um, I'm telling you, this, this is very simple. And, and I'm sure we've all heard this before. But, but I'm telling you, we need to keep uh, on top of this because it is an area where the devil can come in. And, uh, you know, I used to always wonder, Brother Hagan, I, I used to hear his testimonies all the time. His wife used to get mad at him early on in their ministry when their kids were small. He had learned how to master worry in his life. His wife got mad at him one time and said, I bet you if, if something had happened to me and the kids, you still wouldn't worry about it. And he said, no, why would I worry about it then? Y'all are already in heaven. Okay. And so, you know, he had, he had learned how to deal with this and how to cast his cares over on the Lord. And, uh, and, and I'm telling you, this is a huge thing for us. We as believers do not have to labor under the burden of care and worry and anxiety. That is not the will of God for our lives. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.